we are defending our privacy with cryptography, with anonymous mail forwarding systems, with digital signatures, and with electronic money. Cypherpunks write code. We know that someone has to write software to defend privacy, and since we can't get privacy unless we all do, we are going to write it. Yeah, interesting that written in 1993 too. It's like the cypherpunks really saw what was coming, I guess, just being that close to software, I suppose. They they gained a deeper understanding of its disruptive potential. And it's almost like we're living that out now, right? The state is the state is struggling against software, right? Like what we sit here in we're mid-April 2023 and is it the is it the Restrict Act? Is that what's being floated around the U.S. right now to ban TikTok? But yeah, they're trying to ban access to software, basically. And obviously that runs counter to the First Amendment in the United States, which is freedom of speech. Because as the, to the author's point, software is just speech, right? It's just language um, running on a computer. Hey everybody, welcome to the What Is Money Show. I am thrilled to have you here joining me on my mission to help shine light on the corruption of money. Now, if this is your first time listening to the What Is Money Show, I strongly recommend that you go back to episodes one through nine first, which lays a lot of the groundwork for many of the concepts that we explore on the show. These first nine episodes are my series with Michael Saylor and thousands of people have told me that this is the best podcast series they've ever heard hands down, and that it was instrumental to their understanding of money and Bitcoin. So if you're looking to start a deep dive into the nature of money, I don't think there's any place better that you can start other than episode one of this show. Now, a little bit about this show and how it makes money. The What Is Money show is 100% sponsor based. So all of our revenues are derived from direct sponsorships. And I strive to be very selective about the sponsors that I work with, specifically only using sponsors that I use personally, and also choosing sponsors that have values which are well aligned to the values expressed on this show, such as freedom, education, self-sovereignty, etc. So what I'm going to do now is a few ad reads right at the top of the show, and then I'll do a few more ad reads in the middle. And I hope you'll take the time to listen to them, as again, these are hand-selected sponsors, and I think you'll like what they have to offer. Today's podcast is brought to you by In Wolf's Clothing. Wolf is the world's first startup accelerator program focused exclusively on the Bitcoin Lightning Network. Four times per year, Wolf brings teams from around the world to New York City to work with like-minded entrepreneurs, pushing the boundaries of what is possible with Bitcoin and Lightning. The program is designed to help early-stage companies achieve product market fit, develop their brand, secure early-stage funding, and grow businesses that help fuel the global adoption of Bitcoin. So go to Wolf nyc.com today to apply for the program or learn more again that is wolf nyc.com max hillebrand welcome back to the what is money show oh thanks very much robert i'm honored to be back and especially to read such a monumental piece as the cypherpunks manifesto yes yeah i'm really excited about this one uh this is the second installment of our series titled the crypto anarchist series and in episode one, we went through the Crypto Anarchist Manifesto. And as you just said, here for episode two, we're going to go through a Cypherpunks Manifesto. 
And same formula as last time, we're going to have you read through the whole thing, and then you and I are going to dissect it line by line. And hopefully this is really useful and valuable for people that may have not dove into these works that are classics, right? This is from 1993. Yeah, and so a bit later than the Anarchists' uh, Manifesto, it definitely builds on top of it. Um, but yeah, it's even more applicable to to Bitcoin uh, as the previous piece. So it's it's going to be a blast. Let's get into it. All right. A Cypherpunk's Manifesto by Eric Hughes, March 9th, 1993. Privacy is necessary for an open society in the electronic age. Privacy is not secrecy. A private matter is something one does not want the whole world to know, but a secret matter is something one does not want anybody to know. Privacy is the power to selectively reveal oneself to the world. If two parties have some sort of dealings, then each has a memory of their interaction. Each party can speak about their own memory of this. How could anyone prevent it? One could pass laws against it. But the freedom of speech, even more than privacy, is fundamental to an open society. We seek not to restrict any speech at all. If many parties speak together in the same forum, each can speak to all the others and aggregate together knowledge about individuals and other parties. The power of electronic communications has enabled such group speech, and it will not go away merely because we might want it to. Since we desire privacy, we must ensure that each party to a transaction have knowledge only of that which is directly necessary for that transaction. Since any information can be spoken of, we must ensure that we reveal as little as possible. In most cases, personal identity is not salient. When I purchase a magazine at a store and hand cash to the clerk, there is no need to know who I am. When I ask my electronic mail provider to send and receive messages, my provider need not know to whom I am speaking or what I am saying or what others are saying to me. My provider only needs to know how to get the messages there and how much I owe them in fees. When my identity is revealed by the underlying mechanisms of the transactions, I have no privacy. I cannot here selectively reveal myself. I must always reveal myself. Therefore, Privacy in an open society requires anonymous transaction systems. Until now, cash has been the primary such system. An anonymous transaction system is not a secret transaction system. An anonymous system empowers individuals to reveal their identity when desired and only when desired. This is the essence of privacy. Privacy in an open society also requires cryptography. If I say something, I want it heard only by those for whom I intend it. If the content of my speech is available to the world, I have no privacy. To encrypt is to indicate the desire for privacy. And to encrypt with weak cryptography is to indicate not too much desire for privacy. Furthermore, to reveal one's identity with assurance when the default is anonymity requires the cryptographic signature. We cannot expect governments, corporations, or other large faceless organizations to grant us privacy out of their benefinence. It is to their advantage to speak of us, and we should expect that they will speak. To try to prevent their speech is to fight against the realities of information. Information not just wants to be free, it longs to be free. Information expands to fill the available storage space. Information 
is rumor's younger cousin, stronger cousin. Information is fleeter of foot, has more eyes, knows more, and understands less than rumor. We must defend our own privacy if we expect to have any. We must come together and create systems which allow anonymous transactions to take place. People have been defending their own privacy for centuries with whispers, darkness, envelopes, closed doors, secret handshakes and couriers. The technologies of the past did not allow for strong privacy, but electronic technologies do. We, the cypherpunks, are dedicated to build to building anonymous systems. We are defending our privacy with cryptography, with anonymous mail forwarding systems, with digital signatures, and with electronic money. Cypherpunks write code. We know that someone has to write software to defend privacy, and since we can't get privacy unless we all do, we are going to write it. We publish our code so that our fellow cypherpunks may practice and play with it. Our code is free for all to use, worldwide. We don't much care if you don't approve of the software we write. We know that software can't be destroyed and that a widely dispersed system can't be shut down. Cypherpunks deplore regulation on cryptography, for encryption is fundamentally a private act. The act of encryption, in fact, removes information from the public realm. Even laws against cryptography reach only so far as the nation's border and the arm of its violence. Cryptography will ineluctably spread over the whole globe, and with it, the anonymous transaction systems that it makes possible. For privacy to be widespread, it must be a part of a social contract. People must come and together deploy these systems for the common good. Privacy only extends so far as the cooperation of one's fellow in society. We, the cypherpunks, seek your questions and your concerns and hope we may engage you so that we do not deceive ourselves. We will not, however, be moved out of our course because some may disagree with our goals. The cypherpunks are actively engaging in making the networks safer for privacy. Let us proceed together apiece. Onwards. Harry Hughes. Wow. So <clears throat> very strong case for privacy. Um, it seems like a, a lot of people's, I guess the contradictory response to people's demand for privacy that you typically hear is, well, if you don't have anything to hide, why do you need privacy? But it seems to me like that just misses the definition of what privacy really is, right? It's not, as he says here, it's an option, right? It's the option to reveal or, or conceal and to selectively reveal and conceal, right? To reveal certain aspects of yourself or your activity or your identity and conceal others and to reveal and conceal differently to different parties, right? As circumstances warrant. Um, so yeah, interesting that written in 1993 too. It's like the cypherpunks really saw what was coming, I guess, just being that close to software, I suppose. They they gained a deeper understanding of its disruptive potential. And it's almost like we're living that out now, right? The state is the state is struggling against software, right? Like what we sit here and we're mid-April 2023 and is it the is it the restrict act? Is that what's being floated around the US right now to ban TikTok? 
but yeah, they're trying to ban access to software basically. And obviously that runs counter to the first amendment in the United States, which is freedom of speech. Cause as the, to the author's point, software is just speech, right? It's just language, um, running on a computer. So let's take this thing apart line by line. Um, I mean, I highlighted the whole first section here where he said privacy is necessary for an open society in the electronic age. Privacy is not secrecy. A private matter is something one doesn't want the whole world to know, but a secret matter is something one doesn't want anybody to know. Privacy is the power to selectively reveal oneself to the world. Um, what a way to start off, man. That's a blast, right? Yeah. And it really starts off just with, with, with a matter-of-fact statement. Privacy is necessary, absolutely necessary, a fundamental prerequisite for any open society to exist, especially in the electronic age. Mm -hmm. Can you expand upon that? Like, what is it about... Because it seems like a very compelling first-order thinking argument to say, well, if you don't have anything to hide, why do you need privacy? All right, it's like, let's just do everything out in the open. So how do you... How do you dismantle that that somewhat simple counter-argument to privacy? Well, I think the best way to answer that is uh, if, if you really think you have nothing to hide, then you're just a very boring person. <laughs> and anyone with, with like any kind of, of soul and, and humanity uh, will have things that, that are just not meant for, for other people's eyes. Uh, and that it's just really fundamental, um, you know, and if, if we then define privacy as the ability to selectively reveal oneself to the world, mm. it's, it's choice, and, and that ties to human action and, and proxyology and economics. So you could just replace privacy with, with voluntary action, let's say, mm. and then the sentence is voluntary action is necessary for an open society. Mm, that's right. Yeah. Like, it right. absolutely is. If, if there is no voluntary action, there is no society, there is no civilization, there is no humanity. That's a great point. It's because it is, again, it's just the option, right? To take away an option is to inhibit human freedom, right? If you're taking away privacy, well, then the human, the individual does not have the option to conceal themselves or reveal themselves selectively as we described. So you could just replace the whole thing with like human action or voluntary action, consensual action, whatever you want to say. Um, it's why, what is it about privacy then? Is it because privacy is like the state needs, I'm reflecting now on the book, um, seeing like a state, which I think you read as well, but he describes how the state tries to make taxpayers and their business activities legible, right? That's what the state's trying to do. It needs to see into your life, who you're associating with, who you're doing business with, et cetera, so it can tax you. Is it, is that the the reason why the author's focusing on privacy because this is something that the state somewhat needs to take away in order for it to impose taxation yeah that's that's interesting you know arguably different levels or different different types of taxation have have different reasons for it um like uh, you know the income tax is probably what you're alluding to that that fits mm -hmm. into mostly uh, you cannot have an income tax without knowing what the income of, of the tax subject is. Uh -huh. uh, and so this means you need to know the revenue and therefore you need to know every transaction and, and the value of each transaction. Uh -huh. uh, and, you know, then maybe there are some costs that you can offset your tax burden with uh, to de deduct the costs. But this means that you have to prove 
which items you you bought and, and who your right. suppliers are and, and who your employees are, etc. Right. And so the uh, the income tax especially uh, relies on the fact that you have no privacy against the state, and mm. there's no way for you to 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 not reveal yourself to the state in the terms of of whom do you make business with or or how much money do you earn. Mm. Uh, and and yes, that is that's definitely a big problem for the state itself. But it's not just the state, right? It, it's it's anyone who wants to steal from you. Um, as as soon as they know how much money you have and and where you got it from, etc., mm -hmm. and for, and for whom you're working with, all of a sudden stealing from you becomes infinitely more easy. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Extortion of all varieties, not just taxation, depends on knowing how much income the victim has. Right. Um, whether you're being extorted by a gang or a government, they need visibility into your affairs to to make that extraction possible. Um, yeah, and it's it's a risk benefit analysis, right? If uh, let's let, like let's say an attack costs you, you know, one million sats uh, to get all the equipment, the weapons, the the car, etc., that you need to pull off the heist. Well, if if you are certain that there is a hundred million sats in in the vault that you want to steal, well, investing a million sats to get a hundred million—that's a hundred x return. Not bad. Let's mm -hmm. take that. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Contrarily, if you know that okay, this guy only has ten thousand sats in in the vault, so I'm not gonna invest a million, right? Ten, right? That's that's a loss-driven venture, and, and mm -hmm. would we'll do it. Um, and, and on the other hand, then if you are not sure how much money is there to take, then all of a sudden there is a lot more uncertainty mm -hmm. whether or not this venture will be profitable. Mm -hmm. uh, the the future cash flow all of a sudden is uncertain, and and you're much more in entrepreneurial risk. Uh, judgment or, or, or future allocation judgment um, question. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, yeah, not not only is the payoff more uncertain because you don't know what, they're, what they have, right? But the payoff is also less likely to occur with something like Bitcoin, right? It's just harder to steal flat out. So not only do you, you know, so, uh, we're presupposing a lot of things here, right? You've handled it anonymously, you've custodied it properly. But in that situation, you wouldn't know how much the target has, nor would you have a high probability of getting it anyways. So it's back to this whole disincentive to coercion and violence that, that Bitcoin seems to represent. Um, I would say also here too, this is what we mean when we talk about becoming expensive to tyranny, right? Like the state is running a cost benefit analysis on you all the time, right? Like what is your wealth? What is it in? Where is it at? Uh, is the juice worth the squeeze, right? If they're going to tax you or attack you or come after you, it's like, well, they're only going to do that to people that, that the juice is worth the squeeze, I guess. So, um, another thing that came up for me here was like on privacy, Presumably, if you're in any type of business venture whatsoever, you've got to have some competitive information you would want to conceal from your competitors. Like that's almost a given. I can't think of a business where you would just want to openly release all of your customer records and transaction history. Like clearly that's a case for privacy that if you're going to have economic competition, that you would want market actors to have the option to selectively reveal or conceal themselves. Um, yeah, exactly. Right. And it's, especially with that em employer uh, problem uh, or, or company problem, but right? one of, one of the things that you might want to uh, keep private 
is the how much you're paying your employees, right? Mm-hmm. Not, and, and that's oh, yeah. not just to, that's to internally, you, but yeah, but 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 also to protect the, your employee as well, uh-huh. right? Um, and, and yeah, you, this it's just on a need to know basis, basically, right? Yeah, and I guess the argument there is like no one really needs to know. Whoever needs to know someone else's income, I mean, it's only for purposes of extracting some of it, so far as I can imagine. Otherwise, why would you ever need to know? Is there any, are there any cases that you can think of where like you would actually need? Well, one example is probably a credit system, right? If, if someone <laughs> wants to loan you money, he probably needs to get some information about, well, oh, right. how likely is it that I get the money back in the future? Right. So he needs to do a cash flow analysis. Yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, and and in those situations, you would be the borrower, so you'd want to selectively reveal that. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, exactly. Right, and 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 there, there's just a million different examples of where you want to share information, right? Just as many examples of when you do not want to share information. Um, that this is not a, a binary thing, right? Privacy is not secrecy. The second sentence, mm-hmm. a, a secret is is a matter that n- you don't want anyone to know, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, but privacy is when you do want to reveal some information about you, but you want to control to whom you're saying it, and mm-hmm. or, or to what extent uh, you you are being revealed, uh, and 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 that is privacy, right? So there's endless amounts of of uh, examples that that go in both ways, right? When when you want to uh, keep something for yourself and when you want to reveal something to that other particular person. Mm. Yeah. Anyone that's ever had a personal matter in their life at all, right? That's something you're playing close to the chest. You're not sharing with the whole world. That is privacy. Again, doesn't mean it's, and that sort of dispels that argument too, that if you don't have anything to hide, why do you need privacy? What they're saying is if you don't have anything to hide, you don't need secrecy. But you still need privacy, the option to selectively reveal and conceal. Yeah, exactly. So the question is hiding from whom, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, th- that's that's the interesting thing, right? Because I'm happy to to share, you know, some like in conversation with you, but I might not be happy to share it with with someone else. Sure. And that ability to control to whom you're actually talking to, uh, that's a pretty important thing, right? And, you know, and I, I think the next sentence goes into why this is so important. Uh, because if two parties have some sort of dealings, then each has a memory of their interaction. And so when we want to talk to someone else, they they copy the information, right? They, it's, it's, we don't give the information away, we copy it, and now both mm-hmm. people have it. Uh, and well, you know, now the other person can change their, their actions based on what that information was that, that was revealed. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we can't as, as it follows the note, right? We we cannot prevent someone from recalling the memory and and forwarding that memory and, and speaking about it to someone else. Mm-hmm. Right? That's that's an impossibility. Freedom of speech. Uh, the 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 body is controlled by the individual, and he can move his vocal cords to form whichever sentences he wants. There is no way that you could stop that. Possibly, mm-hmm. the the only way that you can stop someone from talking about a sensitive topic is to not tell the other person that topic. Mm. That's an action that you can do that is within your own mode of, of action uh, that uh, where information does not leave you, therefore the other person does not gain that information and therefore he cannot act upon it like talking to the next mm. variable. Man. 
Yeah, it's interesting. And then the ne the next line here: one could pass laws against it, but the freedom of speech, even more than privacy, is fundamental to an open society. We seek not to restrict any speech at all. Um, I just can't help but think about, you know, Snowden and Julian Assange. And I guess you could say to some extent, um, uh, the name just escaped me, Silk Road, Ross, Ross Ulbricht, right? What He just created software, right? Just created a marketplace and now he's doing a life sentence. Um, I'm not sure of maybe you know better than I, Assange and um, Snowden's status. I think they're basically exiled in foreign countries. Um, all for what? Like what What was the law that they broke? Did they, would, it, would the argument be that they broke the privacy of the state? Like the state having the ability to selectively reveal and conceal itself? But that doesn't exactly hold because the state serves the constituents supposedly um how do like how do we how do we think about those events like wikileaks and edward snowden and silk road in the context of this written work yeah um especially the crypto anarchist manifesto talked about this right that now state secrets uh can be copied and and shared and replicated mm -hmm. in an unstoppable fashion right that's the internet we just copy information on a bunch of servers and then it's really damn difficult to delete it again. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's a part of of the crypto technologies that that exist nowadays. Um, yet again, right? It these crypto technologies equally provide the power to to keep secrets to yourself, right, and to restrict access to certain pieces of information. Um, and this is what well anyone, including governments, could do, right? Uh, if if the government, let's say, would have had a better operational security, a, a better uh, secure communication setup with mm -hmm. stronger encryption, uh, well, well, then such leaks would, would have been uh, more difficult. Mm -hmm. You know, on, uh, on, on the other hand, uh, you know, government is, is just a bunch of people working together uh, mm -hmm. and, and these people have their own motives. And, uh, you know, once once you share, let's say, internal secret government information with, with any other government agent, there's just no way of knowing what people do with that information, right? Free speech mm -hmm. is, is uh, uh, you know, un unstoppable. Um, and that's exactly what happened with Snowden, right? He was not exactly sure in the details, but he was some uh, government employee who, who you know, was vetted, got access uh, to these secret matters uh, mm -hmm. or private matters rather, uh, and, and then turned around and well copied it and gossiped it to other people. Mm -hmm. um, now, the the of course the big question is now like, did he br violate any any contract that he might have signed with with the government? And well, probably he did. Mm -hmm. right? I'm, I'm guessing that there was some non-disclosure agreement signed mm -hmm. be before the, uh, that contract. So yeah, he, he did break a law, mm -hmm. a, a government-issued law. Um, but that that is still not effective to prevent him from, from spreading the, the information mm -hmm. that he has gained. Right? It, it is a way to punish him in hindsight and to mm -hmm. maybe get the support of, of courts and, and enforcers. Uh, to to enact that punishment, which well turns out to be difficult, right? Uh -huh. uh, to to even enforce the punishment itself. Well, not that exile isn't a punishment uh, in, in directly. Uh -huh. Yeah, well, yeah. So it comes down to like what is ethical versus what is legal, because that you know the information they were revealing was presumably to help stop 
certain violations of human civil liberties and freedoms, right, that were taking place uh, under the aegis of government privacy or secrecy, I suppose. Um, let me ask you a question here. This is coming to mind. So we've probably talked about this before, but just as like a quick refresher for the audience if they haven't heard. So information is a non-scarce thing, right? As you said, every time you send someone a message, you basically have a copy of it, right? So it's it's not scarce, right? It's not like I send you the message and I lost the message. Like we both have it. Uh, so it's non-scarce, it's non-rivalrous, I think to use the other economic term and that, you know, your use of the English language does not diminish my use of the English language. In fact, it actually enhances it because you're another node in the network. Um, so under that um, framing, like intellectual property is basically bullshit, right? You can't own an idea because ideas are just patterns. There's not a scarce good or asset to actually own. Uh, so my question is, if that is the case in the libertarian worldview, at least, does that mean stealing information? Is that even possible? Because it's, I mean, I guess you would, you, you can do harm if you stole like competitor information. If you're like business A and you stole competitive information from business B, that could harm their, their competitive abilities in the marketplace. So how, what are your thoughts on that, on the nature of stealing information and i think stealing information is categorically not possible right because mm. information can only be copied um uh, and uh, however we're, we're i i think what one of the edge cases you want to get to is what if you know i i sign a contract saying hey i'm gonna work for you and i'm gonna keep your secrets i'm not gonna tell them anyone mm. right and and for that work you're gonna give me one bitcoin a month right that's that's our contract now um, and, and we both sign it, we're happy. Um, I got to work for you, I get all those secret informations, or private informations that I, I agreed I would not share, but now I turn around and, and share that information. Well, did I steal your information? No, I did not. Mm. Uh, but I stole your money because you gave me one Bitcoin a month under mm -hmm. the condition that I performed the service of being private and discreet with mm -hmm. your information. And I, I uh, did not perform that service for whom I got paid. So mm -hmm. I didn't steal your information. I stole your money. And you can sue me to get that money back plus damages. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. And then I guess with, this is kind of that nuanced discussion about can you really own Bitcoin versus just possess Bitcoin, right? Because you, at the end of the day, the private key, just information, it's a secret, right? The extent to which you can keep that information secret is the extent to which you can control the UTXOs associated with it. Um, but if someone can copy it, then you know you've you've lost it basically. So I I, I guess there is a it, you can only really possess Bitcoin. You can't technically own it in a legal sense, I guess, because it's just information. I don't know. I, I think we've talked about this before. What are what are your views on that? Yeah, I, I would say that you you cannot own the private keys, and therefore someone copying your private key isn't stealing. Mm -hmm. um, it it just happens to that if a hacker attempts to get your private keys, most likely he's going to violate your property in something else. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, he breaks into the data center, you know, rips open the the, the cage where their servers right. is in, plugs in his own USB stick with the malware, etc., and leaves. Right, mm -hmm. that's a physical violation of of property right. Um, 
And then the, the consequence of the physical violation was a, a loss of access to this digital commodity, uh, which, which definitely then would be part of, of the recompense that has to be paid. Mm. Got it. So it can become yes, possession does not equal ownership. That, that's also very important, for example, for inheritance. Mm. I'm sure you could give your, your heirs uh, access to your private keys and they can move the Bitcoin, but very much not legally. Right? If you really want to get your inheritance solid, you you need to have a will uh, and uh, you know a process that is uh, recognized by by public courts uh, today, mm. which which ultimately be the one speaking judgment and enforcing uh, whether or not your heirs will go to jail because they stole the Bitcoin from mm. some other heirs. Hmm. So the Bitcoin then it can become part of the measurement of damages resulting from the the break in, right? But it can't be. The private key itself can't be stolen because it's just information. But you could lose. Yeah. I guess you could lose. Actually, you wouldn't even lose possession of the private key. Someone would just use the private key to move the UTXOs to another private key. You would still have it. You just wouldn't have the UTXOs anymore. Exactly. Yep. And then I guess you could come to the CEO of Bitcoin and ask for a rollback of the blockchain <laughs> to to turn that back. But well, unfortunately, that's that's not how the system works, right? So. In, in Bitcoin, for all intents and purposes, possession does equal ownership in the public court of the Bitcoin full nodes. Right. Your your Bitcoin full nodes, as soon as as you know the private key, you you have the ability and the right uh, to move that coin. Mm. Um, but that is very difficult uh, or different from the, the opinions of legal courts in the incumbent world. Right. Does it make sense at all to even talk about the? status of UTXOs because it seems like those are actually scarce perhaps but they're controllable only by the private key so you can't the private key is just non-scarce information but it's used to control this scarce resource called UTXOs yeah. um, you can't have one without the other so I guess you just focus on possession of the private key essentially y yeah did you possess the UTXO well I mean, the UTXO is just a piece of information, right? Mm -hmm. That's copied on the blockchain across every full node. Mm -hmm. So, not really. Um, it it just gets really difficult here with, with Bitcoin of how it fits into the existing uh, legal system. Like that's, uh, I don't think it's a solved problem actually. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's one of a kind, right? It's the only informational structure that has scarcity built into it somehow. Um, well, not somehow through proof of work mining, but mm -hmm. yeah, interesting stuff. Um, okay, the next line, I guess I'll read these two lines together. He, he writes, if many parties speak together in the same forum, each can speak to all the others and aggregate together knowledge about individuals and other parties. The power of electronic communications has enabled such group speech. And it will not go away merely because we might want it to. What is what is he referring to? Though? What does he mean by group speech? Well, I, I would say to the to the first part, right, that we can meet in a in a forum and or multiple people to talk together, uh, and we can in general aggregate our knowledge. Uh, you know, one guy might know this one fact, the other guy might know another, and, and we can share it, copy the informations. Uh, to each of our brains, and uh, then then we have more, right? Yeah. Um, and this knowledge that we are aggregating with with this 
distributed computational system of multiple people in the same room talking, uh, that knowledge can also be about individuals and other parties, mm. right? Again, where if one person has a certain knowledge about uh, some other individual, he can share it with everyone else in the group, and then they all know about this uh, this as well. And of course, the internet or electronic communication has scaled the capacity of humans to speak in a group, right? And and, and even to speak in a group across time, right? Asynchronous communications as well, and where someone can come in days after the first comment to make the second comment, etc. Um, uh, and of course, the unforgettable memory of, of the internet. Um, so this just means that now we have a much more powerful way for a lot of people to come to talk together about whatever subject, including about private or sensitive information about individuals uh, or, or other parties. Uh, and that's just a fact of, of human existence. Uh, and mm. um, yeah, uh, and, and there's nothing we can do to, to make it go away, even if we would want it to. So we've taken the proverbial public square and made it like a global communication engine, something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. So it will not go away merely because we might want it to. It's basically just saying that the technological paradigm is here and it's not going anywhere, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's very much akin to the, the, the Crypto Anarchist Manifesto earlier. Right. Uh, that's this is a reality of, of human action, of, of human existence. Um, people act, people can choose how to act, and then people can choose what to say to each other, and they can choose to talk to many people, uh, even about things that you might not want them to talk about. Right. There is nothing you can do about this in our universe as we experience it. Yeah, it seems like maybe part of the spirit in this part of the essay is that, you know, this is here this like you should just accept it and adapt to it there you know people can you know it's somewhat common i think for older generations to complain about new technology right like older people today complaining about although they are also addicted to smartphones but also complaining about social media you know when the television first came out old people thought it was gonna mess up your mind and all of this so um, it seems like part of what the author's doing there is just saying like, this is here to stay because people use it. So how do we use it in a way that's optimized for the individual ultimately, which is again, back to privacy, right? Um, you're going to communicate in this global public square, but you might not want to tell everyone everything all the time, right? You should be able to selectively determine who hears what about you. Yeah. Yeah. No, like having the power to speak globally with with everyone is it, it's incredible, right? And and also to be public to everyone, um, it's it's phenomenal, right? That enables so many things. Um, yet we don't want to do that all the time, right? There's mm -hmm. way more things that you would not want to share with everyone compared to things that you're truly willing to share with everyone. Mm -hmm. uh, and the the big problem then is especially when when you think that you're just talking to to one person. But in fact, you're actually talking to the entire world, mm -hmm. uh, where there's a, a misconception between your actual privacy or the perceived privacy and the reality of, of your privacy. Uh, if there's a mismatch, that can lead to quite devastating outcomes. Yeah, yeah that's a great point. And it's a reality we actually have to contend with. You know, it's 
even like when we get on this podcast, there's like, there's different banter before we hit record and after we hit record versus while we're recording, there's just something different. You know, we have to, well, I guess we're always curating our message to our audience to some extent, right? Like you'll say something to your best friend in private that you'd probably never say on a podium to the whole nation. Um, and that's not like something to be ashamed of. I mean, it's just, it's human nature, right? It's, we have to selectively reveal and conceal. So yeah. it seems like we should embrace I mean, that. In fact, it, it, it was the default forever, right? You, you mm. could only talk to your local audience, right? Um, like that, or, or you could write a letter, a physical letter that is scarce, right? That can only be read by one person mm. at a time, right? Um, that was the, the, the how it always was. Uh, we just recently discovered this crazy thing that allows us to talk to everyone on this planet. Um, and I don't think we quite understand how, how drastic of a difference that is. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, with a lot of new things, you have an old mindset that, that you, you know, put, put onto there, like, you know, with emails in, in the beginning, like it's a letter, right? That just goes mm -hmm. to one person. Nobody else can right. read it. Oh, wait. So you're saying that there's like 50 different computers that pass that message uh, and uh, pass a copy of that message mm -hmm. and all remember what the content of this message was. Um, just in order for, for the mail to be delivered to, to that other guy. Um, that is abstracted away behind the crazy complexity just to make it approachable and usable mm -hmm. uh, for, for everyday people. Um, but, but that just leads to a you know, big misconception that, hey, well, actually, these 50 guys plus anyone that they would talk to can totally read what you're saying and to whom. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, iCoin Technology iCoin has just released a sleek new hardware wallet. Looks like a mini iPhone, a little touch screen and camera on it. Uh, the device has no Wi-Fi, no cellular connection, no GPS. It's a strictly physically cold hardware wallet. Uh, like I said, it's got a high res three inch touch screen. It's got a camera for air gapping the wallet. Uh, it's got optional Bluetooth compatibility. And it's a really a, a brand new UI UX experience for a hardware wallet, making it very accessible, easy to use, not intimidating. And as we always talk about on this show, the only way you can truly own your Bitcoin is by having it in self-custody. So you need a device like iCoin Wallet to truly own your Bitcoin. Go to iCoinTechnology.com today and use promo code BITCOIN23 for 30% off of this new sleek hardware wallet. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, CrowdHealth. CrowdHealth is a Bitcoin-enabled alternative to legacy health insurance. Now let's face it, legacy health insurance is an absolute scam. Nobody can explain this better than the legendary comedian, Chris Rock. Insurance, you got to have some insurance. You got to, there's an insurance. They shouldn't even call it insurance. They should just call it in case shit. <laughs> Like, I give a company some money in case shit happens. Now, if shit don't happen, shouldn't I get my money back? <laughs> so with CrowdHealth, instead of just paying premiums that you'll never see again, you can hold part of this pool of savings in dollars and in Bitcoin through CrowdHealth. And when you have a health event, you can draw against this pool of communal savings. So go to joincrowdhealth.com slash breedlove to learn more or sign up. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Wasabi Wallet. Wasabi lets you use Bitcoin privately while still maintaining full control over your money. 
Specifically, Wasabi Wallet is an open source, non-custodial wallet with privacy built in by default. By using Wasabi, you're effectively putting the private back in private property. Wasabi Wallet is an easy to use privacy wallet that can support any amount of Bitcoin transactions. So go to wasabiwallet.io today to download this state-of-the-art wallet software. All right, the next line, so the first sentence in the next paragraph, he writes, since we desire privacy, we must ensure that each party to a transaction have knowledge only of that which is directly necessary for that transaction. So it is, as you said earlier, it's like a need to know basis. Um, why, why transaction? Why is he, I guess by transaction, he means any communication? Yeah, I I would say so. Uh, it's it's interesting. I was wondering this too, um, but uh, yes, it's um, it's for sure communication. Um, and of course, oh, he's also leading to to monetary transactions here as well, mm-hmm. which with Bitcoin is basically the same as, as communication. Um, uh, but but yes, so the the idea here is that if you want to achieve a certain goal, especially when it is with collaborating with with another person uh, to achieve that, let's say you're buying a service from an entrepreneur uh, as a provider, well, there's a million different ways that you could communicate with that person to achieve that goal, right? You could sit down, tell your entire life story, what you ate for dinner yesterday, etc. Give him all this information, you know, and and then he sells you a tire for your car, right? Mm-hmm. So you gave a brain dump of a bunch of information that was not strictly necessary for the service of just give me a tire. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it's not necessarily a bad thing uh, to do this, right? There's a million different ways to achieve the problem of getting a new tire. Uh, but, well, if we can for sure optimize it, right? And and find a way to achieve our goal while revealing as little uh, as necessary, um, mm. uh, you know, about each other in, in this trade. Hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking too that a lot of your online interactions are almost indistinguishable from transactions, right? Because you're sending those data packets going across. Um, I mean, a lot of the applications we use, we're you know paying for them with our attention, basically. Right? We're so, selling our attention to social media, for instance, when we consume it. Um. Yeah, so I guess the, I mean, this seems to be like, again, kind of making the case that if we could actually own our own data, that that would allow us not only to selectively reveal and conceal, but in the in the case of online interactions or transactions, you could actually monetize that data, right? Like instead of your, instead of just using Facebook for free and selling your attention to the advertisers that are, uh, customers of Facebook, you could actually choose how you, the data that you're generating through your interactions, how, if you wanted to sell that or not, conceal it, reveal it, et cetera. Um, so I, I guess, I don't know the point, I guess I'm trying to make is like, there does seem to be kind of a blurry line between interactions and transactions in online space that they, they, they run up against each other in a very real way, especially with like Bitcoin making microtransactions possible. Yeah. You know, and, and but but arguably even in in meet space uh, that is the case, right? If we sit together in the same room and talk, mm-hmm. all our time is scarce, our bodies are scarce, so there's an infinite right, 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 cost that we have. 
And so, so yeah, just sharing information is definitely a transaction. Uh, um, uh, you know, you you cannot have a transaction of, of physical goods, right? a monetary purchase of something. You cannot, in fact, do this without exchanging information. Mm. Right? A, a fully secret relationship in the sense that both parties are secret. They're not revealed to each other, you know, completely, uh, well, fully private, right? Mm. Then they could not possibly trade with each other. Right? There, there needs to be some communication back and forth uh, at, at, at the minimum right, for, for this to, to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's just a huge way of how could we speak to each other in order to make that deal happen. And mm-hmm. the next sentence right, shows the danger of, of sharing too much. Uh, because since any information can be spoken of, we must ensure that we reveal as little as possible. And so, again, that information that, that we exchange um, or, or, or give to the mm-hmm. other person can be copied at infinitum um, with, without your permission, right? With, with, without your approval or, or mm-hmm. consent. Um, and two people whom you might very much not want this information to, to know. But sure, maybe that, you know, this information can be passed along to a friend of yours who doesn't really care and, and won't do much with it, mm-hmm. or it get, gets passed to your worst enemy, right? Who picks out exactly how, which psychological mm-hmm. tricks to play with you. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that remind, there's an old saying, I hope I say it right, there's like three things you can never recover, the moment after it's passed, the stone after it's cast, and the word after it's spoken, something like that. So you have to be very selective with what you reveal because once it's out there, it's it can be replicated right forever. As anyone who's ever been embroiled in like maybe uh had a clip that's gone viral right either something they've said or done has gone viral on the internet like that one moment once it's captured and out there um could haunt you for a really long time or it could work in your favor if it's you know a positive virality i guess positive case of virality um yeah what is this next yeah, right and, and like in the oh sorry in, go ahead so in, yeah in the, in the old days right if if, if you say something really stupid, right? Okay, sure, maybe the town is going to laugh about it tonight at the pub, right? The 10 people who are sitting there. And, you know, tomorrow it's forgotten. Yeah. Uh, but in the digital age, all of a sudden, 8 billion people, uh, not just those who live right now, but like the 100 billion people who will live in the future, yeah. will will all have the ability to, to see that information, to see a high-quality recording of you making a really <laughs> stupid statement, you know, and they will laugh at you forever. That's, that's like, you know, a... You know, just imagine being in a physical room and like hundred people laughing at you like really viciously. That that messes you up. But but now now imagine it's it's hundreds of thousands of people uh, doing that to you. Like it's that psychological trauma. Uh, like for for real. Yeah, no pressure right now that we're just recording this for a hundred billion people in the future. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's best to just not think about it and just try to say what you mean. I guess. Um. Yeah. What does this next sentence mean? In most cases, personal identity is not salient. I'm not. I'm struggling with this one. Yeah, I I would say that it's like in in most cases, your personal identity is not a necessary requirement for the service to be provided. Oh, okay. Yeah, got it. Okay. Yeah. The the, the next sentence makes makes it uh, makes a nice example, right? When you purchase a a magazine at the store and hand cash to the clerk. There right. is no need to know who I am, right? They they have uh, the the paper magazine for sale. I have money, base money, cash. Yeah. 
right? It's it's not a credit. It's it's the money itself. It's the commodity good. And if I hand it over, the the possession and ownership has has changed, yeah. right? And that's it. Uh, there's no way for me to take the cash back a day later, right? Or or uh, to somehow freeze it. So there is really just literally no need to know who I am. All you need to know is, hey, I didn't have money before. That guy gave me money. Now I have money, so I'm happy to give him that paper. Magazine, right. And, and and that's it. And we can perform a perfectly fine and adequate service without needing to know who you are, where you live, and, and how much money you are. Yeah, so what I'm hearing here is contrary to a whole lot of bank propaganda, we don't need to KYC, you know, your customer. Um, if the customer provides what is asked for in the exchange, in this case money, and then the, pr the provider or the vendor renders a useful service, like that's all the information that needs to be exchanged in that transaction. You don't need to know who, who the identities of the vendor or the service provider, nor do they need to know yours. Maybe that's not true for every transaction, but you know, for most day-to-day -day transactions, I think that's pretty accurate. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And, and then the next example is, is in the cyber world. Uh, when I ask my electronic mail provider to send and receive messages, my provider need not know to whom I am speaking or what I am saying or what others are saying to me. My provider only need know how to get the message there and how much I owe them in fees. Mm -hmm. And again, the same thing. If, if mm -hmm. you hire someone to, to pass a packet of data forward to someone else's computer, that's all that they they need to know. It's like here's here's the data that should be forwarded, uh, and you know here's the money, uh, and and the data is that large, so I give you this much money, for example. Um, that is all that is needed for the service to to work, um, mm. and 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 not not more. And so uh, reading the, like the fact that the the middleman who passes along the the, the message, he does not need to read the message mm -hmm. uh, in order for it to be passed along successfully. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm recalling, uh, I think it was an episode I did with Chase Perkins titled The End of Digital Tyranny. And he was saying that basically the communication systems we have today, you know, and that your email is going over a, a Gmail server or whatever, there's multiple access points that you, you haven't explicitly authorized. You may, you may actually have explicitly authorized it when you sign terms and conditions, I'm not sure. But the analogy he used was if you imagine sending a letter through the mail and everyone at the post office opened it and read it before they passed it along to the recipient. Uh, that's effectively how it's the current electronic communications are, are structured. Um, I really like this last sentence too. He says, when, I, when my identity is revealed by the underlying mechanism of the transaction, I have no privacy. I cannot here selectively reveal myself. I must always reveal myself. So again, it's just that you're if the mechanism, the underlying mechanism of the transaction is disclosing information on your behalf without your consent, then it's taken that option away from the individual. And that's, uh, it's an, an inhibition on freedom. Yeah. Um, you know, that is, I think for every transaction, there is some level of, uh, of information that has to be revealed for, for the mechanism to work. Right, so in the previous example, you're buying uh, the paper magazine for, for money. Well, if you want to not reveal the fact that you own a thousand sats 
mm -hmm. um, then you cannot buy the magazine for a thousand cents because right. in in you purchasing that you reveal that at least you have that much money to pay for the thing right so there there's always some information that has to be revealed for that underlying mechanism to work right but but then when the 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 extent or the scope of the information that has to be revealed for the mechanism to work including your your identity right then then you have no privacy you either use the service and completely give up your privacy or 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 reveal those informations that have to be revealed in order for the service to work or you do not use the service mm. those are your two options hmm. yeah it makes sense so and that dovetails right into the next line where he's saying obviously the underlying mechanism of the transaction is revealing on your behalf then you don't have the option so therefore he says therefore privacy in an open society requires anonymous transaction systems yeah you can't they're they're indispensable right because if it's not anonymous then your option has been taken away to selectively reveal or conceal yeah right money is on every uh, like on one half of every transaction right the the other side is the good that you're buying um, but which means if you have a money that is not anonymous then nothing that you buy can can be anonymous or, or mm -hmm. private right you you would have to reveal yourself for everything that that you purchase um and you know that that's of course just for for the money itself but he frames it again more broadly anonymous transaction systems mm -hmm. which presumably includes communications as well right mm -hmm. so like even if you would have an, an anonymous money system um if you do not have an anonymous communication system, uh, then again, you you would not be able to sustain your privacy, right? Because every message that you send uh, would entail the fact that that you sent the message. Yeah, uh, it's great. It's a great segue. So, I mean, it feels like an extremely strong argument. Like you can't have because again, privacy is necessary for civilized open society. So, if you want civilized open society. You need privacy, which requires anonymous transaction systems. So it's it's kind of inverting that whole argument where if you don't, who needs privacy if you don't have anything to hide? It's like, well, no. Do you want civilized, open, free society? Then actually, you require privacy via anonymous transaction systems. Um, yeah. I'm hearing in the back of my head like a Monero bro chirping at me at this point, where it's like, well, Bitcoin's not private, bro. Like. Don't you see? You need Monero. The guy's saying it right here. How do you? And I'm, I guess, to speak to my own perspective on it before I ask is like, my understanding is there's a fundamental trade-off between supply cap assurance, right, 21 million, and anonymity at the base layer. Like you can't, for technical reasons that I can't articulate well, you can't really have both at layer one. So Satoshi optimized for. 21 million hard cap. Um, Monero takes a different approach. I guess they have fully anonymized, but then they have, you can't authenticate the supply cap. I think I'm not too well versed on that. How do you deal with that Monero bro counter argument? Yes, I, I think uh, it's it's very well described here, right? We we should require as little information as possible to, to accomplish the task. Mm -hmm. um, and Bitcoin certainly requires more information in order to well fulfill its its target of, of having a transactional monetary system, and Monero requires less information. Mm -hmm. um, 
So for example, in Bitcoin, it, with a transaction, uh, you have inputs and outputs, and the inputs are the coins that you're spending. So in order to, to make a Bitcoin transaction, you need to, to reference when exactly did you receive the coin that you're spending, right? And, and you also reference how much money did you receive uh, in the past. Uh, so if you do not want to reveal this information, Bitcoin cannot work for you. Right? Um, versus Monero, in fact, uh, because it uses well, ring signatures, uh, which basically means instead of saying, hey, this is the one coin that I'm saying spending, you say, hey, look, here are 50 coins. I'm proving to you that I spent one of them. Right? Mm -hmm. But you don't really know which of these 50 coins you've spent. Mm -hmm. um, so if, if your goal was to make a transaction without revealing exactly when you received the money in the past, uh, then Monero does that for you. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, another aspect is that Monero, or with Bitcoin, you see exactly the value of each of these inputs and outputs. Right? A clear text number, this address has one Bitcoin, this address has two Bitcoin. Um, versus with Monero, uh, there is a, well, a homomorphic value encryption proof, uh, which is a zero knowledge proof that we talked about in, in last episode as well, uh, that enables you to prove that, hey, uh, the inputs are the same value as the outputs. That's the proof that you provide, but you're not saying what's the actual value of these inputs or outputs. Mm. You're just saying they're worth exactly the same. So I'm not inflating the money supply. Um, and uh, so... Monero certainly is according to the cypherpunk ideal here, right? They restricted mm -hmm. the amount of information that is necessary in order to perform the service uh, that that is being provided as a money system. Um, however, this trade-off does come at a big cost that you point out. Uh, specifically, the cost of verifying each transaction and the entire blockchain and therefore the money supply becomes infinitely more, or not infinitely, but a lot more expensive um, uh, in, in terms of hardware, uh, storage, computation, bandwidth, etc. Um, so that, well, I, I, I guess Bitcoiners would argue that uh, the trade-offs are are not in favor. Mm. Um, uh, it is more important to to have a efficient verification machine rather than a machine that reveals even less information ab ab about your payments. Um, and you know, on top of that, of course, Bitcoiners would argue that we can use the the existing way of the Bitcoin system to achieve the same result while actually using or revealing less information. Um, that's basically what a coin join is doing, right? Instead of making a transaction by yourself, you make a transaction together with hundreds of people. And this has a similar effect uh, to Monero's ring signature, right? With, so Monero's ring signature, you point out, hey, here are 50 coins, I'm spending one of them. A coin join is kind of the same. Right, this transaction now, instead of having just one input, there's a hundred inputs. And, and now it is still clear that your specific coin is part of the input side of this transaction, but at least you don't know which other inputs you have, mm. for example, um, which also then makes it difficult to find out what's the total value of money that you own in this transaction. Mm. Um, so basically, we can find a way to use the existing Bitcoin rules in a much cleverer way so that the, we reduce the amount of need-to-know information that the verifier needs to have. Mm. Mm. So, well, I guess I'll just ask your opinion. Is Monero a shitcoin? I would say Monero is um, not a shitcoin. Uh, I, I think it's a 
very innovative and new research project that well works if you mm -hmm. know the whenever blockchain keeps incrementing um mm -hmm. as expected and the cryptography seems to hold up at least to some extent um so no i would i would not say it's a scam at least if that's your mm. definition of a shit. yeah um is it worse than bitcoin yeah i, yeah. I think so uh, specifically right. because of the verification aspect of bitcoin right. but that doesn't mean that you know people should not work on 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 the monero protocol or or use it uh, that mm -hmm. would again be to restrict uh free speech which sure. still still do sure. um it it just means that uh, in my opinion the we, when we get smart enough of, of using the existing Bitcoin protocol, we can get to a privacy level that is, um, well, uh, similar to that of Monero. Mm. It's difficult to compare because the protocols are quite different. Right. Um, and I, I do think Satoshi would have, let's say, approved of, of the ethos uh, of, of Monero. I mean, every cypherpunk would, you know, because mm. it does remove the information necessary uh, to use the system. Right. So then I, I would, I think you may have just said this, but you're basically, your view is that at some point, Bitcoin and the higher order protocols developed on top of it, eclipse Monero's use case, right? But in the meantime, Monero does have utility, I guess, is just a purely private, privacy focused transactional medium, something like that. Yes, I, I think that um it it will take years to really figure out how to use bitcoin properly mm -hmm. and that we will make a lot of mistakes early on yeah. um however the same argument goes for monero by the way right. the vast or a, a lot of monero users are not private um for example because they use light wallets or light mm -hmm. clients um mm -hmm. they don't run their own monero full node they just send their public or like their their addresses their their uh, decryption key basically to some third party and say, hey, tell me how much Monero I have, please. Mm. <laughs> Which, you know, obviously mm -hmm. is, is, is not a private system. All of a sudden, in order to use that service, you need to reveal to someone else exactly how much money you have and right. keep it, etc. Um, so we really need to look at these systems holistically throughout the entire user journey. Um, and that, you know, that just brings up a lot of nuances and details mm -hmm. um, but ultimately let's let's continue experimenting um and eventually yeah, we'll have the, something that's really sticking the trade-offs are real right like you can't yeah. do everything at one layer basically so um yeah and this is one thing with monero right another big downside is that layer building on top of it in layers is quite difficult mm -hmm. um, like something like the lightning network is way more difficult to do in Monero than than in Bitcoin. Uh, it is possible. There was years ago some theoretical breakthrough to to line it out, um, but just, again, way more inefficient than than uh, with Bitcoin. And right. it's not that Bitcoin has efficiency and, and scalability enough to spare. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're already failing hard at that with, with making it scale. <laughs> you think so, even with Lightning so far? Well, I'd say we fail gracefully. Um, um, we're definitely still failing. We're not yet done. We're far from where we we need to be, but we're getting there. You mean? Do you mean that in a sense of like the Lightning Network is just early in its proliferation, or also early in its technology, or do you mean that just we fundamentally have not solved the path to scale Bitcoin? Um. Tech, it's definitely a technology problem. Um, right. 
especially with what's currently shipped. Um, what's currently shipped in terms of lightning is, well, to be honest, quite bad on, on mm. quite a lot of fronts. Mm. Um, again, it, it works, which is a, a miracle. Uh, but we can, we already know, like we have a list of hundreds of items that we can improve uh, with, with Lightning, with Bitcoin, mm. with any, any system here. Like there's so much room for improvement. So um, like at, at the current deployed uh, software, we for sure can't have a usable global monetary system right now. Mm. It wouldn't be private either. Um, so yeah, there's lots of work to do, but yeah. we'll just keep building. Yep. Um, and it is important because as the author goes on to write, an anonymous transaction system is not a secret transaction system, as he opened the essay with. An anonymous system empowers individuals to reveal their identity when desired and only when desired. This is the essence of privacy. Just kind of reiterating that point that he opened with in the essay there. Um, yeah. And on the, again, anonymous, it's it's from the Greek, right? Uh, without a name. Uh, so to, mm. to transact without revealing your identity, um, uh, at least by default, uh, so that you can later then choose to reveal your identity. Uh, because once you've revealed your identity, especially in the age of the internet, or even more so in the age of the blockchain, uh, once you've revealed your identity, it is it is unrecoverable, right? You you will never be able to take that information back and, and make it secret again. Um, so it's it's vitally important that we have anonymous technologies by default, mm. where where by default you don't share the information with anyone, and then you can always choose to share it with someone else. This is, for example, one of Monero's principles, right? By by default, things like the value of each UTXO uh, is is encrypted; it's it's hidden. Uh, however, you can re reveal a a public viewing key, I think they call it, uh, which allows you to decrypt the value of that UTXO. Right, and and now you can choose to reveal to other people of, hey, look, this coin is actually worth this much. Um, in you know, in Bitcoin jargon, you could, for example, you know, you you do a coin join uh, with with Wasabi Wallet, let's say, uh, and now you've obfuscated your transaction history. Right, nobody knows that that this coin is actually yours. It's it's an anonymous coin. Um, yet at any time, you can reveal your extended public key, let's say, and say, hey, look, here's the chain of transactions that I did. Uh, mm. Where you could sign a, a, a message, a challenge message with your private key, saying, "Hey, this coin actually belongs to Rob." Mm. Um, that is is possible once you have a, a system that is anonymous by default. Mm. Interesting. Um, okay, continuing. Author writes: Privacy in an open society also requires cryptography. So this would be the also is in addition to anonymous transaction systems. If I say something, I want it heard only by those for whom I intend it. If the content of my speech is available to the world, I have no privacy. To encrypt is to indicate the desire for privacy and to encrypt with weak cryptography is to indicate not too much desire for privacy. Furthermore, to reveal one's identity with assurance when the default is anonymity requires the cryptographic signature. That's all pretty clear to me, except that last line, to reveal one's identity with assurance when the default is anonymity requires the cryptographic signature. Oh, this is basically saying you need to sign a message that with the private key, essentially, right? 
Yeah. So so basically, with an anonymous system, there 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 is some object. We could call it a Bitcoin UTXO, right? To to stay with with Bitcoin, but but so we have this Bitcoin UTXO and it's anonymous. We don't know the the name of the owner of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and now, how could we ever then possibly have a, a proof uh, uh, of you know who who is actually the identity of that owner, right? If if the owner would want to reveal himself, how is he going to do that if the system is actually anonymous? Mm-hmm. Well, the answer is with cryptographic signatures. Right. The, 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 this UTXO is, is defined by a public key and we can prove knowledge of a private key without revealing the private key, right? Uh, again, as soon as you reveal the private key and that person who knows the private key can make a signature and spend that coin. And right? so we, we need to prove that we know the private key without actually revealing the private key. Mm. Uh, and that's a zero knowledge protocol of the cryptographic signature, mm. basically. So that is a zero knowledge proof then when you sign like that. Yep. Oh, okay. You, you prove that you know a private key with with and the verifier has no so the verifier can can verify that you know a private key without yep. having the knowledge of what your private key is. Got it. Uh, okay. Interesting. Um yeah. You know and um this uh yeah like if, what what Probably one of the things that did not really age that well, or it's at least interesting, is that middle sentence. To encrypt is to indicate the desire for privacy. I think that makes mm-hmm. sense, right? If if you encrypt, if I encrypt a message to Robert's public key, that indicates that I don't want anyone but Robert to be able to read this message. Mm-hmm. And um, so that that's right. But then to encrypt with weak cryptography is to indicate not too much desire for privacy. And I don't know, I, I have to giggle with this because... Um, so with a lot of cryptographic protocols and encryption schemes, um, there are it, 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 some of these schemes, depending on, let's say, how long your private key is or how long your password is, maybe that's more uh, easily explained, uh, the easier it is to crack the, the system, right? If you have a really short password, uh-huh. you know, your computer can figure out in, in like a couple seconds uh, what, what the encrypted message was. Uh-huh. If you have a really long password or private key, all of a sudden, it becomes, well, instead of a second, it will take you a month. Right? And if you have an even longer private key, it will take you multiples of the lifetime of the universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, the RSA cryptography scheme uh, does this. Um, you know, it, like in the beginning, there was like 128-bit key size. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then eventually, you know, by now it's like in the, the 4096 bits. Um, so if the keys got substantially larger. Uh, in order to ensure that more modern computers that were always right. leveling up with with compute power uh, could continue to to not easily uh, um, yeah decrypt that message, mm. um, and so but what he's basically saying here is like yeah if you if if you take a a short uh, password a short private key like a a very naive attacker will will not be able to to break that key, right? Let's say your naive attacker wants to de-anonymize everyone on the planet. Right? Even if everyone on the planet would use rather short passwords, there isn't enough compute power for, for that attacker to do that. Mm-hmm. Right? So, um, uh, However, a more dedicated attacker who maybe just wants to attack you and not the entire planet, all of a sudden he has enough resources to, to, to make an attack against you. Mm. Right? So, but, so basically what he's saying with, with small keys, you get a little bit of, of defense. You don't reveal yourself against everyone. But you do reveal yourself against the more motivated attackers, 
Mm. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Um, all right. I think continuing on, uh, the author writes, we cannot expect governments, corporations, or other large faceless organizations to grant us privacy out of their benefic beneficence. It is to their advantage to speak of us, and we should expect that they will speak. To try to prevent their speech is to fight against the realities of information. Uh, I'll pause there because that, the rest of that paragraph is really good. What does it mean when he says, it is to their advantage to speak of us and we should expect that they will speak? Um, I think the good way to frame this is, is Facebook, right? Mm -hmm. Facebook, you, you've told Facebook a bunch of sensitive in, uh, personal information, right? Like the places you visit, the, the people you, who you hang out with, you know, et, et cetera. Probably how much money you have and, and whatnot. Um, so this, this means that they, they now have this information and they can, well, of course, use it to improve the internal product that they're providing for you, mm -hmm. uh, you know, for, I don't know, change the color scheme of, of the interface or whatnot. If they see that you like dark mode softwares, whatever, right, they can do internal improvements. Um, and which means their product is going to get better based on the user feedback that you provided them. Uh, and so that, you know, the product is better, Facebook wins. Uh, right. that, uh, however, even more so, they now can use this information to sell it to an advertising uh, uh, agency, right? So someone says, hey, I want to put this advertisement in for people who really like poodles and black cars and uh, ponies, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, and now Facebook can tell them, yeah, look, Rob is exactly the guy you're looking for. Uh, so why don't you show this ad to him and uh, please give me money now for that information mm. that I just revealed to you. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So like the targeted advertising Yeah. So you, yeah, you're, wow. you're, yeah. When you don't own your data, it's going to be selectively revealed on your behalf, but not by your selection, right? By whatever Facebook's business model says they should reveal. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, I love the second half to this paragraph. I think this is very well written. Author writes, information does not just want to be free. It longs to be free. Information expands to fill the available storage space. Information is rumor's younger, stronger cousin. Information is fleeter of foot, has more eyes, knows more, and understands less than rumor kind of uh poetic metaphorical uh, um yeah. what is the deal with this relating it to rumor like information is rumors younger stronger cousin information is fleeter of foot has more eyes knows more and understands less than rumor that last part is really mysterious to me how does information understand a less than rumor yeah, it's, it's it's a really good uh, good thing, and I'm also not exactly sure of how to interpret it. Mm -hmm. I think information is rumors' younger, stronger cousin. Might be that well, once uh, you know, once information gets out there, eventually it grows up to be rumors. Mm -hmm. um, you know, let's I don't know. Let's say you post pictures of your Lamborghini on Facebook. Mm -hmm. or eventually, there are the rumors that hey, look, this guy is really wealthy. Mm -hmm. Interesting, but understands less than rumor. 
Yeah, information is fleeter of foot, so it's it's faster to spread than rumors, which yeah. you know is interesting. Uh, yeah. Has more eyes. I'm guessing that more people look at informations, know right. more, but understands less. Cryptic. Uh, I've to speak yeah. uh, to hear what he actually meant by that. Yeah, and I've heard like people like Jeff Booth say this a lot. Information wants to be free. Obviously, we're anthropomorphizing that a little bit because information presumably doesn't have wants. But I guess the essence of that message is you can't easily conceal information, right? Because for the reasons we've described earlier, it's non-scarce, non-rivalrous. Every time it's transmitted, it's copied effectively. So it's reproducing with every at every point of transmission. And so... I mean, I think this is kind of where we get things like freedom of speech, right? To try and restrict speech is so nonsensical and self-defeating from a civilizational standpoint that we just, we memorialize it right in the First Amendment in the United States. Like everyone can speak freely. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and this, that information expands to fill the available storage space. Um, that's, that was a huge problem in the early days of the internet with spam, mm. right? You, you mm. had email relayers and people just sent never ending amounts of data to, to these, right? Um, and the more, it is, it's, the more space, storage space, bandwidth space was made available, the more information came in mm -hmm. because well, copying it is, is great. I will just copy all the information I have a hundred times to make sure it, it, right. it never, it never gets lost, right? Right. Uh, which then funnily. Uh, led to Adam Ka uh, Adam back developing Hashcash, right? Mm -hmm. To put a cost on on the usage of a system, right. so that yeah, you know, spam is prevented basically, uh, and that of course led led to Bitcoin, and then then Bitcoin had the problem of uh, a limited block size, right? Mm -hmm. Because well, if you have huge blocks, information longs to be free, and it will expand to fill all available space. So if we have one terabyte blocks. Every block is gonna be full one terabyte, mostly full of junk that mm -hmm. people don't really need that much. Hmm. And of course, then the big problem comes. It's not just that we want to write a lot of data. In Bitcoin, we want to verify the data that was written. Hmm. And, and and so in order to ensure that verification is possible, we need to have a hard limit of the information that can be put into uh, a, a block. We need to have a limited amount of storage space because any the, the amount of information in a block will always go up to the, the limit. Mm. Right, right. This reminds me of a old quote that I'll paraphrase. I don't know exactly how it goes, but something like time and money each have a way of filling all the budget allocated to them, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, I mean, I think you experience, I experience this in my own life. Like if I don't set deadlines, if I don't have that forcing function, then my procrastination will just keep pushing the thing forward and forward and forward. Um, very difficult with writing too, because of writing you often don't have deadlines. And even if you do, they're kind of um, malleable, let's say. So it's hard. It's hard, man. It's the, it's the nature of information, I guess, once again. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Bitcoin Conference 2023. This three-day event will be held May 18th through 20th in Miami Beach. Uh, this is going to be the biggest event of the year, as it always is. And the past two years in Miami have simply been amazing. 
Uh, day one's industry day. Days two and three are going to be open to general admission. And I'd say this is a great place to go and network with Bitcoiners or even look for a job. Uh, just a really all around great experience. There's a fantastic speaker lineup, including Michael Saylor, Zoltan Pozar, Lynn Alden, Alex Gladstein, many others. And last year, we did a 10 million sats giveaway for this event, and we're going to do it again this year. So to get discounted tickets and enter for a chance to win 10 million sats, go to b.tc slash conference and use code BREEDLOVE. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Casa. Casa makes it simple to buy and secure your Bitcoin without wondering whether you're doing it right. Specifically, Casa provides a multi-key custody solution, which is by far the most secure way to custody your Bitcoin. Now, when I talk about Bitcoin being theft-proof money or inviolable private property, a multi-key custody model is exactly what I am talking about. Using multiple keys lets you maintain full control of your Bitcoin while also giving you redundancy in case you lose one of the keys. It's also the best way to secure your Bitcoin for inheritance planning purposes. So go to keys.casa, that's C-A-S-A, today to sign up and use discount code BREEDLOVE. Okay, I'll, I'll go on here. And he writes, We must defend our own privacy if we expect to have any. We must come together and create systems which allow anonymous transactions to take place. People have been defending their own privacy for centuries with whispers, darkness, envelopes, closed doors, secret handshakes, and couriers. The technologies of the past that did not allow for strong privacy, but electronic technologies do. I mean, that's the big game changer here, right? Is that we can, we have this communication medium that is global in scale and you know if used properly um basically impenetrable right you can actually send a fully secured message or transaction that's only accessible to the recipient um in a way that's totally agnostic of every third party like that's the big breakthrough like all these other things clearly don't work right like the whispers, you know, whatever that's kind of going into one guy's head. Is he going to, is he going to repeat that perfectly when he shares it? If you ask him to share it, you know, envelopes can be ripped open, doors can be kicked in, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, that seems to be like the big fundamental point, even probably the motivation for writing this manifesto is just that we have something really new here. We've always had this desire for privacy, but now we have a technology that offers us privacy in an un to an unparalleled extent, something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and um, it, it, he starts, we must defend our own privacy if we expect to have any. Mm -hmm. Because as the paragraph earlier, we cannot expect governments or corporations or large entities right. to grant us privacy out of their beneficence. Why? Because they earn money with the this information asymmetry that they have. Right. And the more information they know about you, the more money that they can make. So obviously they're, they're, they're going to sell you out. Mm -hmm. um, uh, which means that the information that is very dear to your heart is going to get sent out and sold to ever more and more parties, right? And resold a hundred times until it eventually is public information and, and your privacy is, is entirely uh, ruined. And so we, the, the only way out of this conundrum is not by, you know, collective regulation from a one world government, but rather 
by individuals using on their own computer the cryptographic systems and primitives that enable them to to speak and transact freely with without any interference from from those third parties uh, that that now lose the profit uh, opportunity. Mm. Yeah, well, it's like you just have to do it that way, right? Because the only only you have the incentive to defend your own privacy effectively. Um, yeah. But then the second sentence ties so beautifully into this, right? Um, like, first it says you must defend your own privacy, mm -hmm. very individualistic focus. Right. Then we must come together and create systems which allow anonymous transactions to take place. Right. Because the big problem is, um, even if you have uh, like perfect encryption and such, but you're the only one that uses it, right? then it's a, a size a crowd right. with the size of one. And right. it's just, hey, right. look at that one guy who's doing, who's sending weird messages. Right. Um, uh, so in order for for privacy to, to actually work is to have a large size of the crowd and mm. have more people or entities that look similar to you. Mm. Um, and this is a, a social phenomenon. And so it's, which means we need to, again, build communication systems that scale mm -hmm. so that we can get more people involved so that we have a, a larger anonymity set. Uh, but it then also means that we need to have like a culture of of privacy in in everyday citizens right. uh, that, that that recognize the value of this and that recognize their the need for to participate themselves in order to help all the other people that, mm. that want to have privacy as well. I know it's not even a bad idea if 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 you're using the like you want to browse a regular website, you don't care if anyone finds out that that you are using this website. Still, you should consider to use the Tor browser. Uh, just to browse the mundane, non-dangerous things that that you do, well, because there are some people who who are very much in danger, uh, and and who need the cover traffic basically. Mm. Um, and, and as the same with a coin join, you know, if, mm. if you're making a Bitcoin transaction all by yourself alone, you're the one weird guy standing out. Mm. All of a sudden, if we get together a crowd of hundreds of people making a transaction together, now that's a a, a like social system that enables anonymous transactions to play, take mm. place. Yeah, it's it's it has these like echoes of Bitcoin to me in a way like so Bitcoin is a technology optimized for the individual, right? It only private keys can spend and um very just empowers the individual and in their negotiations with any collective whatsoever. Like obviously the state being the largest and most ominous collective. But in doing so and optimizing for the individual, it actually is most been a, like it optimizes for the individual, but you need the network, the monetary network for it to really come into its full potential. So it's just an interesting, it's like you, it's like to get the greatest, the best collective outcome for the most individuals, you need to optimize for the individual, something like that. So, um, yeah. yeah. Interesting stuff. Um, okay, should we go on to the next paragraph? Yeah, those next four paragraphs are are, are amazing, right? Like he, he lays out the problem, and he he, de he defines uh, everything and and uh, why why government can solve the problem, why we must do it ourselves, and now enter the cypherpunks uh, and and their ideas. Yeah, where maybe just like where did this? Is this the start of cypherpunkery right here? Like this particular manifesto or was he 
writing about an existing cadre of, of people? Um, no, the, uh, the cypherpunk mailing list, uh, came, uh, before. So like this cypherpunk manifesto is somewhat of a, uh, uh after a couple years, a, 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 or, ah, wait, no, actually I might be mistaken that this was actually the, the, the announcement message to the cypherpunk's mailing list. Mm. Uh, should look that up. Mm. We'll have to fact check it. Um. Again, this is in 1993. He writes, but yeah, this is basically where the whole essay shifts into like the ode to cypherpunkery. He writes, we, the cypherpunks are dedicated to building anonymous systems. We are defending our privacy with cryptography, with anonymous mail forwarding systems, with digital signatures and with electronic money. Uh, and again, this is back when electronic money was still just an experiment, right? And none of it really worked. Um, none of it, well, I guess some of it worked, but not, it didn't work to the extent of the cypherpunk vision of decentralized cyber cash, like Bitcoin actually is. Um, what, yeah. what about these, are these other things still relevant? The anonymous mail forwarding systems, obviously digital signatures are used in Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah, no, all, all of this is very much uh, important, right? Like, just that first sentence, you know, we the cypherpunks are dedicated to build anonymous systems. I mean, that's just a baller statement. <laughs> <laughs> and and then how do we do it? Uh, uh, well, we, we use cryptography, right? Private, public key cryptography, etc. Um, uh, anonymous mail forwarding systems were huge, by the way, uh, in, mm. in just that time uh, uh, of, the, of the cypherpunks. Adam Back was a, a big... Uh, contributor uh, to anonymous mail forwarding systems, hmm. um, you know, and arguably this is still super important right now. You could say that that VPNs and Tor, uh, arguably even Noster, are anonymous mail forwarding systems. Hmm. Um, so this is very much still in in, in mind and, and used well in Bitcoin as well, right? We anonymously forward Bitcoin transactions through the Bitcoin hmm. network uh, hmm. to the miners. Um, so yeah, it's it's very much needed Ob obviously digital signatures are huge uh, mm. and electronic money as well um you know and so th i think the, the first well cypherpunkish ideal of electronic private money was david chom in 1983 um uh you know which was well 10 years earlier um and then i, I just checked in 1992 the cypherpunk mailing list started mm. uh, and a couple months later uh, in 1993 uh, this piece was written as as the introductory piece or mm. laying out the, uh, these ideals. Gotcha. Okay. Um, author goes on to write, and this is a very famous sentence, cypherpunks write code. We know that someone has to write software to defend privacy, and since we can't get privacy unless we all do, we're going to write it. We publish our code so that our fellow cypherpunks may practice and play with it. Our code is free for all to use worldwide. We don't care much if you don't approve of the software we write. We know that software can't be destroyed and that a widely dispersed system can't be shut down. I love how unapologetic the, the tone of this paragraph is. And uh, well, you know, irreverence too. Like we just, we don't care. We're going to build it and it's free and it serves humanity and that's what we're going to do. Yeah, uh, place your feet firmly on the bedrock of truth and, and don't budge an inch. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's this attitude. Uh, this is about human freedom and human flourishing, mm-hmm. uh, and w- we are correct, uh, and we, we know that we are, and uh, we will continue doing what we do because it's it's the right thing to do. Um, and yeah, we cypherpunks write code like that's that's so powerful, right? Like I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's like it's like we're we're gonna change the world just by speaking. Mm-hmm. Like that's what we do, right? And there's nothing wrong with speaking, uh, and and that's why we can stand so strong uh, in in those beliefs. Uh, be because well, we don't violate anyone else's property, right? Um, and and uh, the, just such a small sentence, cypherpunks write code, but the the results of it are breathtaking. Uh, right. I mean, look at the code that was written, and and as they say, it cannot be destroyed, um, especially because it was widely published. And, and why would cypherpunks publish the code freely for, for anyone to use worldwide, right? They're not earning mm-hmm. any money for it. Mm-hmm. Well, because they don't have to, because copying information got extremely cheap. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when once we have established systems of privacy that are usable at scale, at scale on a global system, well, we've just liberated 8 billion people out of slavery. Mm-hmm. We're all going to be extremely rich out of this, right? We, we can publish the code all we want and dedicate our lives on building these tools that ensure privacy and autonomy of the individuals. Uh, because, well, the even the economic results and the financial outcome for everyone uh, will will just be staggering. Yeah. yeah, it's so it is very powerful, right? That um, using speech in this new medium to overturn all of the prior you know i guess the the primary organizational force for software as they're describing here is like it is force right it's coercion it's violence it's statism and i guess it's kind of ironic in a way too because like they're it's almost you know fiat means by decree so what are they doing they're just kind of decreeing these tools into existence by writing code um not forcing them on anyone, like not fiat in that sense, but definitely fiat that is just spoken into existence. And then because it's more useful, right, that people just naturally coalesce around these tools, um, which goes into the next paragraph here. It says cypherpunks deplore regulations on cryptography for encryption is fundamentally a private act. The act of encryption, in fact, removes information from the public realm. Even laws against cryptography reach only so far as a nation's border, as a nation's border and the arm of its violence. Cryptography will ineluctably spread over the whole globe, and with it, the anonymous transaction systems that make it that it makes possible. Um, yeah, it's just really kind of just a very valiant stand against statism and like a, with this undertone of a middle finger held, held high, just saying like, we're going to do this no matter what. I also, I appreciate the emphasis on action too, right? It's not a lot of heady theoretical abstract, you know, how we're discussion about how we're going to solve the problem. It's just saying, here's what we're going to do. And this is how it's going to work. Um, that seems like a necessary approach to really get people mobilized behind and behind an effort like this yeah exactly right and it's it's just very consistent you know is is he said earlier that like we we don't want uh, to prevent anyone from speaking for example 
mm-hmm. um, which is what regulation on cryptography is. It's like, no, mm-hmm. you don't get to calculate one plus one equals two. Uh, you know, that's that's for the grown-ups, not for you to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it, it, it just, the, 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 the regulation does not make sense on a, a ethical moral principle. It also just does not make sense on a practical principle. Um, like, sure, you can say, hey, you, in this country, you're not allowed to do one plus one equals two. Um, and, and sure, maybe even if you have the most overwhelming police force uh, and, and full surveillance, um, uh, then you can probably, you know, make sure that actually nobody in that region does one plus one equals two. Mm. Pretty certain that you will not have a 100% success rate, but you can get there. Uh, however, the, the, the reach, the power of any nation state is, is quite limited, especially in, in regionality. Mm-hmm. Um, and well then, okay, so let's, let's say you're in North Korea, right? And, and you dictate anyone of, of how they can use math and, and computers. Um, well, but then there's an entire world outside uh, and the people there are, are not restricted and you have no way of, of enforcing them to, to do as you say. Um, and now all of a sudden, you know, people can fly over your country and drop USB sticks with knowledge about, uh, you know, the, the fucked up things in, in North mm-hmm. Korea and, and communism. Um, so, uh, and their information longs to be free mm-hmm. and, um, it, it will swash over any firewall and, and cross any border, uh, especially if it is valuable. And, and, and the more people see that this is valuable information, the more they will want to share it, um, uh, including it, putting themselves at great risk in order to share. Just look at mm-hmm. Snowball, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's well said. Um, and I guess that is the conviction in this last sentence, right? Where they're saying cryptography will ineluctably spread over the whole globe because yeah. like the information longing to be free. And, um, I guess the two, the people, I mean, I think this is a safe comment to make that the majority of people do just long for stability and civility, right? Like just some peace to go about their day and do their thing and, you know, have kids and have a job and all that. So over time, you know, as states rupture, as they tend to do, because they're premised on coercion, that people are naturally going to flow towards these tools that enable um, a greater degree of peacemaking and stability and civility and all these things. So, um, yeah, yeah, this is, this is quite pernicious, similar to the sovereign individual, right? Like, mm. so cryptography exists, information longs to be free. Therefore, cryptography will spread across the entire globe. Mm-hmm. Cryptography enables anonymous transaction systems. Anonymous transaction systems make theft impossible. Mm. Ergo, the entire globe is going to change and become a, a free place with uh, an absence of coercion. Right. Like. That's a hell of a sentence. (laughs) It's a very stark bend in the arc of human history, right? Where I think in that book too, the sovereign individual talks about violence being the alpha and the omega of human organization across time. But uh, then it makes the case that cryptography is going to change all that. Um, That's, I mean, I guess that forms my, that's a significant contributor to my viewpoint that incentives are like the ground stuff of human action, right? It's like people are just going to engage in whatever activities are profitable. Now, I know profit is a psychological phenomena, phenomenon. You can't necessarily quantify it, but 
I would also argue that financial profit's a pretty strong motive. Like if we're just not talking about psychological profits as much as just financial profits, whatever is financially profitable is going to be a significant motivational force for a lot of human action. And so what we're talking about here in this cryptographic digital age is just that violence and coercion is way less profitable. As we said earlier in the show, right? It's, I don't know how much you have. Even if I did know how much you have, I probably can't steal it. Well, if I can't do either of those things, I guess I'll go be an entrepreneur and like build a business and actually add value to the world because what my options, again, your options have changed as a result of the incentive landscape. So, um, in that way, I kind of think in the incentive structures we create largely define how we act, right? How we act towards one another. Um, it's probably the only thing we can really control about the way humans act. We can't change human nature per se, but we can pour it into different containers. Yeah, definitely, right? And um, that's uh, the, the fact that we can just shape words in, in a way that it does align incentives is is, is kind of crazy, right? And, and that these types of incentives are more powerful than a fist and a gun. Like mm -hmm. that's that's revenge of the nerds, you know. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What a big deal, man. It is interesting. Yeah, because it's not it's it's a carrot, not a stick, right? So you don't need to beat people in submission to have your ideal socialist utopia. You just give people the proper tools, which have the proper incentives for human peace and flourishing embedded in them, and let let people run free and. The, the system self-organizes yeah it's it's like it, it turns it into a carrot and the wall you know hey either how about we trade and you get a carrot yeah or you could want to steal from me but here's a, a you know kilometer high wall that right multiple <laughs> right 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 which of the two are you gonna pick yeah 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 you can spend the how many lifetimes of the universe trying to find this needle in a haystack over here and my in my encrypted stash of Bitcoin or whatever it is, or you could just go out and do something productive for your fellow man and earn a living and contribute to the collective in the process. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, okay. Do you want to read this last paragraph and take us out here? Yeah. For privacy to be widespread, it must be part of a social contract. People must come and together deploy these systems for the common good. Privacy only extends so far as the cooperation of one's fellows in society. And, you know, that's, again, to what, what we said earlier. Uh, privacy is about the size of the crowd. And mm -hmm. if, if you're the only weird one wearing a mask, it's very easy to, to finger point you. So uh, in in order for, like, if, if we want to have privacy, we need to have privacy for, for us all uh, because that's the, the maximum amount of anonymity that, that can be gained. Uh, and it's it's therefore definitely a, a, a social phenomenon. Um, not just that it's okay to build technologies that, that use privacy, like the, those mathematicians that came up with cryptographic formulas did nothing wrong, you know, and, and should not be called, uh, you know, illegal ammunition smugglers. <laughs> right, right. Um, th that's one part, right? Don't put people in jail for coming up with math formulas. It will be a right. nice first start. Or speaking, um, basically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and then we must come together to actually deploy these services together. Um, so, do you know, this means from one designing them, 
right? Uh, and designing them based on on first principles and and individual security and sovereignty. That's that's quite important. Uh, and and then to deploy them at scale. Uh, and you know, there's there's a long way between theory and practice. Uh, and um, it, especially deploying these advanced cryptographic systems is, is quite difficult uh, to do without mistakes. You know, there were numerous mistakes and bugs in the deployment of crypto systems in the past. That's in part why cypherpunks publish open source code so that other people can find our bugs and hopefully fix them before the attacker can exploit them. Um, and all that ultimately does lead to the common good. It's like a, a private free society is a common good. Like. It does not matter about how much time and energy and money you, you invest into creating a private and, and free society. Once you get to that point, the the amount of wealth creation and prosperity in that society is, is so staggering and the rising tide lifts all boats. Like, you know, I'm, I'm happy to spend my last Bitcoin on, on developing further cypherpunk technologies because I know that those million sats that I have left are going to be a staggering amount of wealth in in that future economy uh, that that we're building. Oh, well said. Yeah, again, this the power of that incentive alignment, right? That you are willing to go to your own, the end of your own economic livelihood, right? To contribute to this because you know what it it's serving you, right? In a way that those million sats will appreciate so much if this works. And so this alignment between the individual good and the collective good is something it just doesn't exist anywhere else as far as I can tell. You know, it's like all statisms are claiming to serve the common good, right? Marxism, from each according to their ability to each according to their need. Uh, even democracy, right? It's like claiming to be government by the people for the people. They're all like trying to claim the greater good but it seems like cypherpunkery is actually serving it in a very fundamental way and it's just a free market idea right it's like look we're just going to make useful stuff and make it free and open for everyone to use and you guys can figure out the rest it's like there's no there's no there's nothing hidden it's just it's very much an open source ethos i guess um yeah exactly and and, and the next line is, is so great right we the cypherpunks seek your questions and your concerns and hope we may engage you so that we do not deceive ourselves. There it is. Right? I mean, damn, that's such a humble uh, sentence. Like, mm -hmm. uh, like, yes, these are crazy ideas, right? Please, you know, come talk to us. Uh, you know, uh, give me your questions. Let, let's see what you're concerned with. Let's, mm -hmm. let's actually talk this through because this is really important. Uh, and one thing that we cannot afford is to deceive ourselves and to build a system that is is counter to what we actually want to achieve, mm -hmm. right? That is as absolutely the worst case, um, and th that's why we need the the open dialogue. Which again, the open dialogue and the open critique relies on privacy. With, right. with without private communications, there is no critique, there is no questioning, there is no way to voice your concerns or, or to engage with people, um, and that that means in in a society that is not private you will inevitably deceive yourself. Mm. Um, that, you know, in, in, in the software style, mm. if you write closed source proprietary software that nobody can review, right. you're going to have a lot of bugs. Yeah. If you publish your code and make it free and for anyone to, to download and change and play around with, they will find all the bugs really quickly. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. It's are you opening yourself up to the distributed cognition of the marketplace or not? Because if you're doing it in isolation, it's guaranteed to be wrong and riddled with bugs. Um and they yeah, the last sentence is very powerful too. Just like look, we're open to your feedback and we want it so we can prevent self-deception. However, <laughs> Uh, we will not, however, be moved out of our course because some may disagree with our goals. Again, just that commitment to action, this unshakable commitment to action. Yeah. Um, powerful. Yeah. It's it's punk, you know? Yeah. It's, yeah. That's where the name comes yeah. from. Like, yeah. Uh, these guys seriously are punks. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, as, as with the sense before, I, I think they mean well. Um, and, and I think they, they are intellectually honest and and open for for critiques um it just is that well we've we've thought long and hard about these problems uh and the solution is pretty convincing uh and, and you know once 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 you have discovered that fundamental truth there is just nothing that that will set you off course uh, because how could it like this is the foundation it doesn't right. go any deeper right yeah and um yeah, they're punk. punk right? That's funny you identified that. And then Cypher, I think, comes from when I was writing the number zero on Bitcoin. It's it's related to the word zero. Like Cypher and zero have something to do with one another. And I think it's because zero was used to um, zero-based numeral systems were instrumental in making early cryptography systems. Right, like they were superior cryptography was possible through zero-based numeral systems as opposed to Roman numerals and other inferior numeral systems so it's just it's a cool cool name <laughs> yeah yeah it really is and then and, uh it, sorry go ahead ends with the cypherpunks are actively engaged in making the network safer for privacy let us proceed together apace onwards and that's oh. that's a strong way to end it you know and, and again like we're actively engaged right. this as you pointed out man he, he he's just action 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 that's, yeah. that's all that matters, right? And um, the the goal is to, to make it safe. You know, that's that's ultimately what, what we want to do. Privacy is a way to increase security and, and safety. Yeah. And yeah, we, we should proceed together um, mm -hmm. because it's a lot of work and it, it requires the crowd. Mm -hmm. uh, and we need to do it quick, you know, a pace at a, at a rapid, rapid pace. Because, right. well, if, I mean, if we don't, like, you know, we I think we see the, the glimpses and we can certainly imagine how it could get a lot worse when we have a interconnected network without any privacy. Um, yeah. That gets really dark really, really quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and I, it, you know, to some extent, it seems like a, a pivotal point. Like we can either continue building these computational devices that uh, violate individual privacy and autonomy and, and actionability. Um, and the outcome would be a well, phenomenally uh, beautiful and scalable uh, totalitarian slavery mm. system. Yeah. Um, uh, or the alternative is we we build technologies that protect individuals um, and and ensure that an open society can flourish. Mm. Uh, and both scenarios are uh, totally possible to be achieved within like the next 10, 15 years. And right? uh, both extremes could could definitely come to play. Um, and I think we just really need to get our act together and, and make sure that 
well, humanity uh, continues to to thrive. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, I I have to ask you: Is this? I mean, this writing and the the crypto anarchist manifesto before were these pieces um, core to your motivation to go into privacy? Because I mean, you you're basically a I don't know. I would say you're basically all in on privacy tech, right? Like you, you, you've got wasabi going on. You talk about this. You speak about this. Seems to be very much a part of your life, your existence. Is was were these pieces instrumental to your development towards that course of action? Yeah, definitely. Um, I would say that I was an anarchist before, based on my understanding of uh, Austrian economics. Um, so here, especially uh, like Murray Rothbard, you know, and, and his uh, tradition of, of thought on Sermon Hoppe, uh, were very influential before I got into the, the technology rabbit hole, let's say. Um, and then once, well, discovering you know Linux, free and open source software, and, and Bitcoin, um, I, I found the Crypto Anarchist Manifesto, which you know I found interesting because I knew I was an anarchist. Um, yet, but then the the cypherpunks manifesto is uh, it, it really really stands out um like this is it's i for one it, it definitely builds on on top of the anarchist thoughts obviously uh but it's so so clear so focused um and the the strategy that's laid out is 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 so beautiful that that yeah i've, I've come to think that this cypherpunk strategy is the way to to ensure individual flourishing in in the near term future like again man we can turn this planet around in 10 15 years like it's totally possible man. we 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 have it all the technology needed to to make that a reality um so yeah this uh this this attitude and um what, what i love especially about it is is the the focus on the non-aggression principle here like um I th and I think that's that's super important to, you know, have a, a clear line of what not to do. Um, that's that's very important, and I think that that ensures a lot of yeah a lot of success and security basically. Um, if because you, you know, especially when dealing with such powerful technologies uh, like the cypherpunk technologies are, like they can be used for a, a enormous amount of harm. Uh, if if applied for the wrong reasons or or to solve the wrong goals, um, so I I was always looking for a system that that is ethical and and can be defended on on moral grounds as well, uh, and the cypherpunks in in my opinion clearly do this. I mean they just write code, they they just speak, uh, and and they execute the code, um, and that that is yeah that that is for me just a an incredibly powerful idea who is restrained by the non-aggression principle to to ensure that it it cannot be misused right like you I, yeah so that that is that's extremely powerful and yeah i'm i i would would like to think of, of myself as a cypherpunk and i can count numerous cypherpunks as as, as my friends uh, and fellow allies uh, in, in this war and it's definitely only a fun ride um and rereading this piece it's it's just so spot on and 
you know that even after now years of of dedicating quite a lot of time on on researching and thinking about these topics, it it like this this text is just getting better and better. Um, it's it's so spot on. It's so concise. There's so much in here, um, and yeah, I I, I don't regret uh, you know being going down this this rabbit hole. It's I think extremely interesting, just on the theoretical and philosophical point of view. There's so much to talk about here, um, but then of course the techni a technical aspect as well, and and applying it in, in the real world, right? To like Bitcoin is here now, coin joins on Bitcoin is here. Like we have anonymous transaction systems, like that's done now, um, and the the glimpse of the future that this uh, this paper lays out or a sovereign individual lays out is yeah really. Really, quite something. Yeah, it's a true classic, right? Every time you revisit this text, you're getting more out of it, and you are—I mean, you are participating in as an individual in this history, right? You're actually helping to create anonymous transaction systems, which is, as he argues here, indispensable to an open and free society. So, um, that is really, really cool. I wish I could write code. It's <laughs> preventing me from my cypherpunk dreams over here. Um, you know, but the thing is, I, I still don't write code. Like, that's the one thing. Where oh, I'm you like, don't write code. Oh. I thought you did write code. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like the one definition of a cypherpunk. A cypherpunk is he who writes code. And right. well, I'm not it. <laughs> well, if you um, employ people that write code, does that count? Well, I, I yeah, I think yelling at other people, yelling at cypherpunks <laughs> to quote faster, better, stronger is, is it kind of turns me into a meta cypherpunk. Meta cypherpunk. All right, nice. All right, well, this has been uh, fucking great. I love going through these texts um, and peeling them apart. I think we're gonna. What's the one we're gonna do next? Do you recall? Uh, there we have a, a couple cool options. Uh, one would be the Second Realm uh, by Smuggler and XYC. It's a bit of a longer piece, like a small pamphlet, not yeah. quite a, a book. Um, so probably we couldn't read it all on on the show. But uh, yeah, there, there are a couple excerpts of the Cryptonomicon. Uh, there's a couple really cool fiction pieces that lay out uh, the the cypherpunk ideals. A lodging of wayfaring men comes to mind. Uh, or hashtag Agora. Uh, lots of fascinating things to to further dive down. I don't think we decided on on anything yet, but well, maybe the audience can let us know of which which oh, other. Cyber that's a, that's a great idea. Pieces we could pick up. That is a great idea. So if you've got a preference, please let us know. Um, I yeah, I think we'll probably hit on all these because I'm very. I don't know. I'm just enthralled by this. Um, people that were looking around the corner and thinking about these things. 30 years in advance, right? Before they even come to come to fruition. So it's very, very fascinating stuff. Um, yeah. Max, thank you so much for doing this. I will see you for the next one. Yeah, thanks, Robert. This was a pleasure. See you around. Bye-bye.